All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to part one of this new series called Fan the Flame. I want to take just a minute to say hello to our campuses. Hello to everybody watching online, all the correctional facilities across the state. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Welcome each other today. <laughs> Go ahead and grab something to take some notes with if you haven't already. If you're new to iTown, we love to take notes as we study God's word because the Holy Spirit makes it come to life and it's unique for each and every one of us. And if you don't write it down, chances are pretty good that you'll forget it. And we are trying to take a spiritual journey together to become all that God has called us to be. And we think these moments of revelation are significant and important, so make sure that you jot those down. If you haven't downloaded the iTown Church app, that's a great place to take your notes. You can get it on any kind of device so go ahead and get it and pull those up, because we're going to jump into God's Word. But before we do, I want to make a very exciting announcement. As I mentioned earlier, Kate and I are always trying to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we have great systems here at iTown, and we believe in those systems. We, we think there should be structure and not chaos in church. But we also love to be Spirit-led. And we know the Holy Spirit is kind of doing something new, and we're not exactly sure what. But we're always working to try and make room for Him to move any way he wants to move. And so this fall, we're gonna disrupt our normal programming, and we are not going to have our annual men's and women's conference this year. Instead, we have decided that we will have what we're calling Revival Nights. And we are very, very excited about it in the month of October. Yeah. So here's what it's gonna look like. Uh, starting first Wednesday, October 5th, we will kick off uh, uh, basically three days of services, then we'll have Thursday night and Friday night. All of them will be at 7 p.m., and they'll look just like a first Wednesday service, but on steroids, extended worship time, and we'll have the message from God's Word. We want to open up the altars and lay hands on people and just provide some moments for the Holy Spirit to really work in our hearts and in our lives and really kind of rev up our spiritual temperature so that we're prepared for everything that God has for us to accomplish and kind of lean in to the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in a very charismatic church. My grandfather was a charismatic pastor, and so I came from the camp meeting days. Anybody remember camp meetings in the house? Anybody, anybody, a few of you, yeah? So camp meetings were exactly what they sound like. For those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, we didn't used to do conferences back then. We didn't call them conferences, we called them camp meetings. So people would come in the summertime They'd block out one whole week of services, and they'd have services in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. And people would straight camp at church, like get RVs plugged in. They'd have tents. It looked like clips, you know what I'm saying, like with a conference concert. But instead of people doing all the things those people do, they were doing Jesus things, coming out of their tents, going to church. And uh, we just had church for days, and people all over the property. And we just have so many happy memories and uh, times at the altar and the Holy Spirit. And so we wanted to create an opportunity for that. And so I'll be opening that first night. And I'm very excited about what God is going to do all three nights. Night two is a very, very good friend of mine, Paul Doherty from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. He pastors a huge church there. Uh, his dad and my grandfather were very good friends. And Paul's become a great friend. He leads a massive church with his wife, Ashley, there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then my pastor, Kate and I's pastor, Chris Hodges, will be here on Friday night to close out the, the week of meetings. And we're so very excited for him to come. Many of you may have not 
uh, heard from him in person, and I'm excited for you to be able to hear from him, and he's been such a great friend, a great pastor to me and Kate, and so I'm excited for all three nights. I think it's going to be an incredible time. I want to make sure you block out your calendar. We'll have uh, kids' services and all the things as well for your family, and just come and prepare your heart to be refreshed and to encounter God. And so what we're gonna do for the next few weeks is prepare ourselves with this series from 2 Timothy. We're gonna go chapter by chapter through 2 Timothy, but our theme verse is found in chapter one. Paul writes to Timothy and says, this is why I'm reminding you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. I love this idea that there's a responsibility that we have in our relationship with the Holy Spirit to make sure that we monitor and that we protect our spiritual temperature. Make sure that you're fanning into flame the gift that God has given you, that spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me give you a quick setup of what's happening here in 2 Timothy. Paul, of course, is the author writing to his young protege. We find in Acts chapter 16 that Paul meets Timothy on his very first missionary journey. And uh, Timothy becomes a son in the faith. Paul really pours into him and writes him two separate letters. Timothy, we know, is a young leader. In fact, at the time of 2 Timothy, he's about 35 years old when he receives this letter. And he's already a very influential leader in the body of Christ, comes from a Christian home. He's got a godly grandmother and mom that we'll meet here in just a minute. And it's kind of a complex time that he's living in because the gospel is just exploding. They're having all these kind of arguments of what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? Paul is taking the message of the gospel to the non-Jews or what we call the Gentiles or the Greeks. And, uh, And people in Jerusalem and the Jews are trying to figure out do we require circumcision or not? And they've had this summit in Jerusalem, decided it is by grace that we are saved. And so you don't have to go through a bunch of works or follow the law in order to be called a Christian, that you just accept Jesus and that he transforms your life. And Timothy's kind of caught in the crosshairs of all this because the Bible tells us that his dad is a Greek, but that his mom is a Jew. And so he's kind of in both camps. He's been raised by a Jewish mother, but had a Greek Uh, speaking father, and so uh, he's probably the perfect person to continue on Paul's uh, mission to the world, and Paul at this time is in prison. In fact, this is the second time that he's in prison, and this is the very last letter that Paul writes. He is awaiting to uh, his death at the hands of Nero. We'll get into more of that in just a minute, and so he knows his time is short, and he's writing to young Timothy to preserve the faith and to make sure that he leans into the power of the Holy Spirit to keep this movement called the church alive. And of course, our future depended upon the fact that people like young Timothy kept the faith and made sure that people followed the way once Paul was gone. And so 1 Timothy kind of helps us understand how we need to monitor and protect our spiritual temperature and some of the things that could get in the way. Let's back up to verse three of chapter one. He says, Timothy, I thank God for you night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. I remember that you have this genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. 
I love these affirming words that Paul is speaking over Timothy, saying, look, there's a generational blessing. There's a generational gift that rests on your life, this gift of faith. And I don't know if you realize this, but there are generational blessings that can rest on your life when you follow the call of God. I want to take you for just a minute. This is a little off track of kind of where we're going with the series. But I've never taught on this before, and it really caught me as Paul is telling him about his grandmother and about his mom and the difference that they're making in his life, this spiritual heritage that he is uh, allowed to partake in and benefiting from. And uh, I've never really taught on generational blessings or curses, and it comes from this verse in Exodus chapter 20. This is an Old Testament principle that the Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel. He says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, speaking about false gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's saying you can't worship other gods. You have no other God before me. We know that God is that way. That's a principle of following him. And he goes on to say, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation for those who hate me. So here in scripture, he's talking about the fact that there is a sin that can be passed generationally. Now, this does not mean that you are automatically going to have the sins of your parents. When he talks about sin, that word sin is the word iniquity. It's the nature of sin. It's the propensity for failure in a particular area. So we focus a lot, I think, on generational curses and very little on generational blessings. When we think of generational curses, we think about, well, I'm just always going to struggle with the anger that my parents and grandparents had, or with the lust, or with the pride, or with the greed. It's just a family thing. This is just how we are. We're negative people. We just gossip. It's what we do. Like, it's just like you're a victim of whatever curse you've inherited from your family. And the first thing I want to say is that the Bible's clear in the New Testament in which you are a part of, that Jesus' sacrifice at the cross breaks the curse off of your life in Jesus' name, that you don't have to be defined by all this stuff. So yes, it is important for you to be aware, just to acknowledge the things that have plagued your family generationally. I think it's important for you to know, hey, if everybody in my family is an alcoholic, I probably shouldn't have a casual glass of wine. That would be what we'd call stupid, okay? That's just like, why would you go there? Why would you risk it? Like, if it's something that happens in your family, just be aware of the areas that you might be tempted. But my Bible says if any person is in Christ, they become a brand new person. The old life is gone and a brand new life begins. You're not defined by your family. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by any curse that's been passed down. And yet, even in the Old Testament, he said these curses can last for two or three, maybe four generations. But what we don't focus on is verse six, where he says, but that same God shows love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So sin can affect three or four generations, even in the old covenant, but God's favor and God's blessing can last for thousands of generations for people who choose to follow the Lord. That's so encouraging to me that today you could be living in the anointing and blessing and giftedness of somebody that lived a thousand generations ago before you. Isn't that tremendous? And yet the devil tries to convince us You'll never be enough. You'll never be good enough. Look at who you came from. Look at all the stuff your life is cursed with. And you were not made for more. You were made for less because you come from this horrible and broken background. I want to pause for just a minute and thank God for praying moms and praying grandmothers. Can we give them a hand in the house 
for the intercessors that have stood in the gap for us. And I just want to tell you that I'm willing to bet if you go back a thousand generations, you could probably find somebody that prayed for you. You can probably find somebody that followed the Lord and that you're living in a covenant with God, a favor-filled blessed relationship with him because of someone who went before you. And maybe you're just convinced, no, that can't be true. There's no way. I come from all kinds of lost people and brokenness. Well, maybe you can become the lowest and the Eunice for your family. You can be the one that stands in the gap and says, I'm breaking the curse off of my life. And I'm going to be the one that begins the thousand generation blessing that the Lord is going to move in my life. Maybe there's a blessing you're missing out on that your family actually passed on to you. He says, I see this faith that was in your grandmother, and then she passed it to your mom, and then they passed it on to you, and I just want you to nurture that gift, the gift of believing God for big things, that that thing lives on the inside of you. Don't neglect it, Timothy. I'm telling you that there's something great on the inside of you. Maybe you're missing out on a generational blessing that God sees, the favor of God, the hand of God in your life, just because... We don't think about generational blessings. We just think about generational curses. Another thing that's interesting about young Timothy is that Paul is writing about his grandmother and his mom. In fact, in several different places, he talks about these ladies and the fact that they're obviously living in the home with Paul. And a lot of histor- or excuse me, with Timothy, a lot of historians believe that Timothy's father died at an early age and was absent from his childhood. So here's a young man living in a very difficult time, which we'll get to in just a minute. He's basically fatherless, being raised by two ladies in his home, and he's raised to be a history maker and a world changer, because there's no limits of what God can do with your life. Don't ever let someone convince you that because you didn't have a perfect start, that you're not capable of making a dynamic impact in the world around you. Paul chose Timothy. And he's pouring into him at the young age of 35 saying, look, there may be a lot of obstacles to you, but I'm telling you that faith lives strong in you. You are made for more. You are made for greatness. So that's why in verse six he says, I need to remind you to fan into flames this gift that God has given you when I laid my hands on you. There's this anointing, in other words, on your life, Timothy. There's something that God has called you to do. And I hope that you know the same is true for you today. You don't have to be Timothy. You don't have to be written about in Scripture. You don't have to be even called to the five-fold ministry. Every human breathing air today has been called by God to make an impact on the world around them. But I hope you know that it cannot happen without the power of the Holy Spirit. We have what we call charismatic theology, which simply means we believe in the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit, that we want to live a spirit-empowered life. When I look at Scripture, there's no other way that I can interpret the way Jesus modeled for us how to follow him. In fact, in Luke chapter 3, we see John the Baptist. He answered these people and said, I'm baptizing with water, but the one more powerful than I will come, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Many times when the Holy Spirit's mentioned, we see this fire, just like Paul is talking about fan into flames, this gift, this fire of the Holy Spirit. There's this power. There's this something unique that comes with this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus modeled it for us. He was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And then when he came up out of the water, the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended upon him and then empowered him, and he began preaching and teaching and doing miracles. In fact, this is what Jesus said about himself. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want you to know the mission is the same today. What Jesus modeled in his earthly ministry is the exact same thing he's called you and I to do in our daily lives in the world in which we live. We are supposed to have the Spirit of the Lord upon us. And when he is upon us, there is an anointing. That's just a fancy way to say there is a divine enablement, an empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that there's this God factor, in other words, in your life to make you better than you already are. I hope you know that I'm not that good, okay? I'm just not that great at much of anything in life, but the Holy Spirit gives me a few gifts that allows me to seem a lot better than I am on my own, and all of us are the same. He has anointed us to do a few things in different ways for each one of us. We're to preach the good news to the poor. We're to tell people who are hurting and who are dying in the world around us the good news of the gospel. In case you don't know what that is, You and I are sinful humans. All of us are condemned to die because of the sin nature that lives on the inside of us. There's nothing you can do to escape it. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation except to die. And so Jesus came and died in our place so that we could be forgiven, made right with God, set free from our sin, and have a new life in Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. We're supposed to be sharing that with every person that we meet. And in the process, we get to Proclaim freedom for the prisoners, people that are in chains, people that are in bondage, people that are slaves to addiction. We get to tell them, hey, you don't have to live that way anymore. God's power can set you free. We can surround you in loving relationships and in spiritual community and help you take a journey to be all that God's called you to be. You don't have to be defined by alcohol or by drugs or by some type of lust that just has addicted itself to your life. Like we can help you be free. There's this message proclaiming freedom to the prison, recovery of sight to the blind. Man, we've never lived in an age with more blind people than now. I'm not talking about physical blindness. They're completely blind spiritually. We live in a world that thinks right is wrong and wrong is right. We think love is hate and hate is love. We are so confused and it's our job as the church to help people recover their sight, to help them understand that they were born on purpose and for a purpose and that God loves them and that he has a plan for their life and that he even exists. Recovery of sight to the blind, that's what the Holy Spirit helps us do, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's our job. And the Holy Spirit helps us do that. And Jesus knew it. So he says to his disciples in Luke 24, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you have to stay in the city. Don't you dare leave Jerusalem until you get this power. Don't try to go be a witness. Don't go try to be a light. Don't go try to preach the gospel. Don't try to set anybody free. Don't try to go do that stuff without the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit comes, and we have this relationship with him that is now our job to steward. He gives us these gifts that make us capable of making a difference. God has given gifts to each of us from his great variety of spiritual gifts, so manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. So we have this responsibility that Scripture is clearly telling us. We have to fan to flame the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. We have to develop our relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. We have to lean into this and make sure that we don't let the fire go out. 
I believe when we get to heaven that we'll all be asked two questions. I think when we meet our maker face to face, he'll say, what'd you do with my son Jesus? And the answer to that will determine whether or not you get to stay because hell is real and sin must be paid for. You can either pay for it yourself by spending eternity apart from God in hell or you can let Jesus pay the price for you and be redeemed. And so what we answer for that will determine whether or not we get to stay. And I plan on staying. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm pretty excited about heaven. And then he's going to ask us a second question. What would you do with the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he empowered you with? And I'm a little worried about the answer to that question for the body of Christ. You know, statistics say that 87% of modern day Christians do not know their spiritual gift. And yet... All of scripture is telling us you've been given a unique gift that you were called to make a difference that whether you're called to ministry or not, all of us are supposed to be spirit empowered to make a difference in the world around us. Paul says in Romans that God is making his appeal to the world through us. In fact, the Bible says, how will anybody who is lost know unless someone tells them? Well, that someone has to be us. God has placed us in our world so that we can make a significant difference in the world around us. I hope you know that's the reason why we exist as a church. What we do here at Itown isn't a Christian club. It's not an hour of power to make you feel good about yourself and get you to check a spiritual box and just lift your spirit a little bit. That's not what this whole thing is about. I hope you know that we're a part of the Big C Church, which is always meant to be a collection of people that are just fired up about the fact that the resurrection is real and the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive and his power is available to all humanity because we know that sin doesn't work. People are hurting and Jesus is the answer. That's the only thing that we are here for. We're here on a search and rescue mission. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so all of us now have been given these gifts that we are supposed to manage, we're supposed to steward, we're supposed to make sure that we understand them and that we nurture them and that we grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit so that we're making a difference, an impact in the world around us. I don't know if you realize this, but our dream for you is that you would discover your purpose and become ministry involved by using your spiritual gifts to make an eternal impact in the lives of others. I don't know if you realize, we do have a win for your life. Like We know what the touchdown looks like. We're trying to take you on a journey from where you are to where God has called you to be. But if you're just consuming, if you're never sharing your faith, not bringing people to church, not using your gifts, serving on some type of team, whether it's a circle in your home or out in the workplace or you're serving here on the weekend on one of the teams, and I'm not saying that just serving at the church is the only way you can serve because there's a million ways out in the community you can be a light, but you need to find a way because if you are just a consumer then you are not living the life that Christ called us to live. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make consumers who love to go to church and demand programs that fit their special interests. That's not the Great Commission. He said, go to all the nations and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I have told you, which is go into all the world and preach the gospel. There's an expectation that all of us would be contributors in this thing, that we would take a spiritual journey and then allow what God is doing in us to also flow through us to impact the world around us. That's always been the mission. 
And we wanna make sure that you are empowered and that you know what that looks like. That's why we do things like the Grow Plan. That's why we have things like Team Night because we don't need more things to do. We're just trying to serve you to help you get to the highest level of living to make the biggest impact possible because we're trying to usher in the return of Christ. Like the return is near. I don't know if you have watched the news lately. Hello, somebody. We're at least at the beginning of the end, maybe the middle of the end. Who knows? We could be at the end of the end. This thing's wrapping up fast. (laughs) So it's about time that all of us figure out what those gifts are and get engaged to make a difference in the world around us because I would be heartbroken as your pastor if you meet your Savior face to face and he says, what'd you do with the gifts that I gave you? And you said, nobody ever told me I had gifts. I don't know I was supposed to do anything. Now this this whole thing that we're doing, it's not about us. It's not about what we like. It's not about how we feel. It's not about what we want. It's about the fact that Jesus gave his life so that none should perish, but all would find everlasting life. You and I are a part of helping people understand that. We need to preach that to the world. But it starts with us. We have to first fan into flame the gift that God has given us. We need to be active in our faith. In fact, 1 Thessalonians even says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Some of us can actively be working in the opposite direction, like suppressing what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, trying to ignore his, no, I don't want to talk to that person. No, I don't want to share my faith. No, I don't want to pay for their groceries. No, I I just really don't want to serve. No, I I know I feel led to lead in a circle, but I just, I'm too insecure and I'm too busy and it's just the wrong season. And I just, we come up with all these excuses and I, I wonder if we're actively quenching what the Holy Spirit is actually leading us to do. Timothy certainly could have had a reason. Paul is encouraging him, fan to flame, the spiritual gift that God has given you. Well, his spiritual gift was to preach and to teach and to plant churches to follow in Paul's footsteps to make sure the kingdom was advanced. And yet, that was a pretty tall order in that day because the backdrop of 2 Timothy is a great persecution of the church. In fact, I did a little study and Paul was awaiting his execution because a lot of people believe that Paul was actually blamed for the crimes of Nero. He was a very demented leader who burned himself, Rome to the ground. He burned his own city to the ground because he was so arrogant that he was gonna rebuild a better Rome. But the guy's psycho. He literally played a harp as he watched the city burn to the ground. And when people began to discover, when rumors started to spread that it may have been him, he knew that a revolt would come because people would know that he's absolutely out of his mind. And so instead of taking the blame for it, he blamed the Christians. And it's why persecution broke out against the church. It's why they brought them into the Colosseum and had them eaten by animals. It's why they burned them at the stake to literally at night, they covered them with tar and lit them on fire to light his gardens. So the next time someone puts something nasty on your Facebook post, just remember, that's not real persecution, okay? (laughs) 
These Christians were giving their lives just for being followers of Christ. And Paul is saying, you got to fan into flame, Timothy, this gift and this calling because the world is waiting for your message. The world is waiting for your gift. There is someone else on the other side of your obedience. Their eternity hangs in the balance of you saying yes. I want you to know the same is true today. And so he goes on and encourages him in verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. I know the world is on fire and I know Christians are being persecuted and people are being killed, but you cannot back down in timidity, Timothy. And then he encourages him with this verse we know and love, but God has given you a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. I want to spend the last couple of moments touching on the gift that you have been given. Many of us may shrink back in timidity. We may shrink back in fear thinking, well, I'm not good enough and I'm not called and I, I don't have the right pedigree and I don't have the right background. But Paul is writing to young Timothy as an example to us of, look, it doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your status, doesn't matter what you went through. Look, God has laid his hand on your life. You are anointed and appointed for such a time as this. We cannot shrink back because the world desperately needs you and you have been given a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Jot it down. The first one is the spirit of power. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of power. I don't know if you realize that, but in Acts chapter one, Jesus said, you get power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power is that Greek word dunamis that literally means power, but more so it means the power to perform miracles and the power to influence. The dunamis that the Holy Spirit gives us is what Jesus was expecting the disciples to operate in that would allow them to have the boldness to spread the gospel. It's fascinating to watch Peter, who shrinks back in fear when this little girl is asking him, if he's a follower of Christ, is Jesus his standing trial? There's zero boldness in Peter's life. But then just a few days later, at the risk of his life, he stands up on the day of Pentecost and basically says, Jesus was the Christ. You killed him, now say you're sorry. Repent of your sin for killing the Messiah and thousands of people are saved. Where'd that boldness come from? It was just one experience and it was the upper room, the day of Pentecost. You have power. I don't think sometimes we realize the power that God has given us. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, I love this verse. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You ever been with a group of people and like a flash of lightning comes, but it's so fast that you're like, did you see that? Was that lightning? Did you see it? I, I don't know if I, did I see that? Did you see that? Like it's just, just here and then it's gone. Well, Jesus said, that's the way Satan fell. You know, Hollywood is great at making us believe that there is some cosmic battle between good and evil and that somehow in the end, if Jesus gets lucky, he'll edge it out over the devil. Y'all know that's ridiculous. Jesus said, he fell like lightning. Like he didn't even know it was coming. God was just like flicked him like an ant out of heaven. Like, wasn't even, it was like, I'm done. Gone. Just like that, it was over. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, I have given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. Why? Because we have the same authority that God has over the devil. You have power. I don't think we realize how much power we have. My grandfather used to 
be kind of the original gangster with demons and deliverance and all kinds. I mean, my church growing up, people would come from all over the world to be set free. And he would always say, the devil is easy. It's people that are so hard to pastor. It's people. People are crazy. But the devil's easy because in the name of Jesus, the devil has to go. There's nothing that you have to fear. We have authority over him. We have power over the devil. And you need to walk with the confidence of understanding the power that you have been given. I don't think we shrink back as we do. I think so many times we allow a spirit of timidity to bully us. And yet we have this power. Mark says, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, Jesus says, they will drive out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They'll place hands on sick people and they will get well. Like this is just supposed to be a normal part of everyday life. You can go to a basketball game and in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, devil, you get out of that woman. Let her act normal and in her sane mind and then go team. You don't have to be one of those charismatic, crazy, fanatic people. Like, that's just supposed to be a common attribute of everyday believers. We just believe in Christ. We have this power. It's time that we have that power. You know why? Because the world desperately needs it. We live in a culture that the devil is actively hijacking, and everybody is confused and upside down and backwards, and the church can't be silent, much less condone sin at this point. So Paul says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Why? Because who cares about a stupid argument? That's not going to change anybody's life. I came with the demonstration of the Spirit's power because people need an experience. Your faith can't rest on man's wisdom. We're not here to equip you to go out and argue better at the water cooler. Because you can go to the water cooler and argue with somebody for two hours, make no progress. But you go to the water cooler and you heal somebody of a sickness, I promise you, you're going to win. And experience trumps everything in life. You need to operate in that power. We need that power as the body of Christ. God always intended for us to have it. You have a spirit of love. We don't have to be afraid because we have love. And guess what? We have real love. Not the jacked up, manipulated definition of love. I don't know if you've noticed. Again, just observation. The devil's very good at changing definitions. That's why he confuses people so much. He changes definitions of things. Love is love. Love who you want. Do what you want. Because we love. We're the ones that really love. No, that's not what love is. God is love. Remember that? He did, like, he doesn't just love. He like is the embodiment of love. So we have to look at what he does to know what love is, right? Well, God so loved the world that he made a sacrifice, he gave his only son. So that whoever believes in him can do whatever they want and sleep with whoever they want and live however they want and everybody gets to heaven. Mm -mm. No, love says, hey, your hair's on fire. You're stabbing yourself. That gun that you got pointed at your head is loaded. You're doing destructive things that are contrary to God's word and God's will, and it will send you to hell. That's love. To warn people with the truth. 
God's love is that people would not perish. That was what was going to happen to them. They were going to perish and spend eternity apart from God. But love stepped in and in truth and grace said, hey, that is not good for you. You need to turn around. That's called repentance. And you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life so that you can experience eternal life. That's love. Don't let the world confuse you and let you believe that love is just saying everything is okay. That's not love. That's actually hate. If you just let people die in their sin, then you do not love them. But at the same time, true love is not judgmental. True love makes a sacrifice. He stepped into messy humanity and got a bunch of religious people mad at him, a bunch of people confused about him. We're not here to make a point. We're here to make a difference. So love is we're going to go out into the world. We're going to hate the sin and love the sinner. You got to separate the two. You can't make people that have a different political argument or a different sexual orientation your enemy because they are not. I've never been able to win my enemies to Jesus. And that's what this is about. People are confused. People are hurting. We have the spirit of love. That means that we open our doors to people who don't look like us, act like us, believe like us, live like us, and we embrace them in love. But we also love them enough to say, hey, that's, that's really hurting you. That thing you're doing is really, that's really going to get you in trouble. That's going to separate you from God. That's going to bring a lot of pain into your life. I love you enough to be honest tell you the truth. That's what love is. Love is a gift that serves. Galatians 5, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So we don't need to go to church. We need to be the church. We are the church. This is the gathering of believers. We're here gathered together, but then in a moment we're going to leave and we're going to go out into the world and we are still the church. We're here to love hurting humanity and let them know that there is a God who loves them. There is a Jesus who died for them and that he wants to rescue them just as he has us. It's love. If you really care about people, you'll speak up. Not in a hateful, judgmental, religious kind of way, but in a loving, I care for you, I want to help you kind of way. Fan into flame the gift that God has given us, this relationship with the Holy Spirit, the gifts that he has placed in our lives. God has not given us the spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, and the King James says, of a sound mind. This is the thing I'm praying over you more than anything else, because we live in an age of disinformation. There are lots of wars being waged right now around the world. There are actual wars. And while those are very significant and our hearts break for everybody involved, the greatest war that's being waged in humanity right now and from the beginning of time is not physical warfare, it's psychological warfare. Let me show it to you in scripture because it's spiritual. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Though we live in the war world, we do not wage war as the world does. So we are fighting, but not like the world does, because the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So I-Town doesn't need to buy tanks, okay? That's not how we fight. But it doesn't mean that we don't fight. On the contrary, we do have weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds. Maybe you've heard of demonic strongholds. What are they? Well, he goes on to define them. They are arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. So listen to me, church. Spiritual strongholds that trap people are arguments and pretensions that are opposite of what God's Word says. 
Spiritual strongholds are lies of the devil that people believe. Spiritual strongholds are, you'll never be good enough. God can never forgive you, or God is not all loving because there is war and pain and suffering. Spiritual strongholds are, you can marry who you want, you can live how you want, you can sleep with who you want, and it's all okay. That's a spiritual stronghold. That is a lie that is keeping people from understanding the truth. And the Bible says the weapons that we have can tear those down, and then we also have to be active in our own lives. He says we take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. And I'm praying that God would give you, in the midst of chaos and confusion, a sound mind. Because the world has lost its mind. I don't know about you, but I'm choosing not to participate. The world will tell you you're not good enough and you'll never make a difference and God can never love a person like you and you're not equipped to lead and you're not equipped to serve and this message is for everybody else but nobody would really love you and you can't trust anybody and look at all the relationships that have walked out on you and this church is probably out to get your money and eventually you're going to find that it's all just a corrupt mess and there's no way that you're going to take a spiritual journey and there's no way that you'll be able to find good friends or good leaders or good pastors. The devil's constantly trying to use a broken script to take control of your life. We can't bring clarity and truth to the world until we operate in the spirit of a sound mind. We have got to let the Holy Spirit to help us see the truth from God's word and make every thought obedient to Christ. I am a son and daughter of the King. I am heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. No weapon formed against me will prosper because greater is he that lives in me than everything that I face in the world. I am the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. My God always causes me to triumph. It's not by might and not by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. So I will prosper and I will succeed because he knows the plans that he has for me and their plans to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me a future and to give me a hope because great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. He's better to me than I can ever deserve. And so I will honor him and I will serve him with my life because he died for me. That's the message of the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we have to fan the flame for. This is the message. This is why we're here. It's time for every one of us to do our part. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray that God would this week help you step out in boldness, knowing that you have power, that you have a spirit of love, and that you have a sound mind. But first, I wonder how many of you are here and maybe you're just far from God. Maybe at a young age you were bombarded with the lies that God didn't love you or that you were damaged goods. Maybe you pushed God away. Maybe you never knew him or walked away from him. I want you to know that God's not responsible for the pain that you've suffered in life, but he does want to rescue you from it. You do not have to be defined by your past. If you and I pray together today, a miracle can take place in your life that'll make you a brand new person. I would love to see you experience that. So at all of our campuses, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to have you stand or come to the front. I'm not not here to single you out, embarrass you. But if you say, Dave, that's me, it's, it's time for a fresh start. 
I need that relationship with the Holy Spirit. I need that power in my daily life. Wherever you're at, just as a point of connection, a point of faith, would you, with no one looking around, just lift your hand up high and say, Dave, that's me. I need Jesus today. Come on right now. Just put your hand up high. Say, count me in. I want to pray that prayer with you. Yeah. That's amazing. Wherever you might be, you can put your hands down if you haven't already. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today. I repent of my sin. I surrender to you. Fill my life with your presence and with your power. Give me a brand new start. Help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to follow you. Then just whisper to heaven, just say, God, I give you my life. I give you my life today. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for the call that you have for each and every one of us. We celebrate the fact that you're willing to use us, Lord. That we, just like Timothy, can make a difference in the world around us. Help us to be intentional about monitoring and protecting our own spiritual temperature. I pray over the next several weeks that you would help us to fan the flame of the gifts that you have given us in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and empower us, strengthen us. Let us not be a victim of the spirit of fear and timidity, but let us rise up in power and boldness. Help us to love a world that's broken and hurting. And in the midst of it all, have sound mind, good judgment, self-discipline. God, we need it desperately in these wicked times. We thank you for how good you are, how loving you are, how gracious you are to every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today? so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.